Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. So I want to start today, honestly, just by saying thank you um, to the student body here at Southeastern. I want to say thank you to the faculty. Thank you to the professors. Uh, it really is a, a joy uh, to be able to stand here before you today and open the scriptures. Um, and I would say it really is a joy to be a part of a seminary that has the glory of Christ as its highest aim. It is an absolute joy for me to stand here today and say I am a part of a great commission seminary. Think about those words with me for just a minute. Great commission seminary. On the one hand, you have this great commission, right? We have this mission that Jesus has called all of his followers to, this mission to make disciples of all the nations, a mission that is absolutely grounded in the authority of Christ, a mission that is empowered by the Spirit of Christ, and a mission that focuses on obedience to Christ. On the other hand, you have the word seminary, an institution that seeks to equip students to serve the church. So when you put the two together, right, Great Commission Seminary, this is an institution that seeks to equip students to serve the church for a purpose, in order to fulfill the Great Commission. But just like any seminary, there is a temptation here at this seminary, among all the students and among the faculty, a temptation to allow our growing knowledge of God and His mission to fuel our love for ourselves. And without even realizing it, we attempt to justify ourselves in the face of our own disobedience to this mission that Christ has called us to. This was the case for Jonah. Jonah knew that God was gracious and merciful and that God relented from disaster. But yet, Jonah allowed his knowledge of God and his mission to fuel his love for himself and puff him up. Brothers and sisters, God is just in extending his mercy 
to the nations, and he calls all of his people to make his mercy known among all nations. It's my prayer as we dive into this text today, brothers and sisters, that you and me would commit to letting our growing knowledge of God fuel not our love for ourselves, but rather fuel our love for God and his mission. And we would absolutely be a people who are motivated by the mercy of God and give our lives in fulfilling his mission. Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Father, simple prayer today. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would work in ways that we can't even think or imagine, Lord. And that as we hear your word, we would absolutely, God, be moved by your mercy and motivated to carry out your mission. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to give you two warnings today from this text of Scripture. Two warnings to guard against disobedience to the Great Commission. Two warnings to guard against disobedience to the Great Commission. Number one, as those who have received God's mercy, do not minimize God's mercy. 
In verses one through four, we see that God is a gracious God who extends his mercy to whomever he wills and stays true to his character. Jonah knew that God extends his mercy to whomever he wills. In fact, mercy is a quality that was fundamental to God's relationship with Israel. God's mercy motivated him, Psalm 78 says, to atone for his people's iniquity and not destroy them in their disobedience. And God's mercy was also a motivation for his people Israel. Hear this motivation right here. Jeremiah 3.12, the Lord himself says, return faithless Israel. I will not look on you in anger because I am merciful. God's mercy, a motivation for his people to return to him in the midst of their faithlessness. Not only was God's mercy fundamental in his relationship to Israel, it was also fundamental in his relationship to Jonah himself. Jonah experienced the mercy of God personally. In Jonah chapter one, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and to cry out against them because their evil had come up before him. But instead, Jonah decided to go the opposite way and got on a ship to head to Tarshish in disobedience to the very command of God. And the reality is God had every right to destroy Jonah. But instead, when these sailors throw Jonah overboard, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and deliver him from his drowning, from his distress. God's mercy motivated him to deliver Jonah and God's mercy was a motivation for Jonah to actually return to the Lord. This is very clear in his prayer when he's in the belly of the fish. And then we see he comes out of the fish and then goes to Nineveh. So God's mercy, motivation for him, both with Israel and with Jonah, not to destroy them. And it was a motivation for Israel and Jonah to return to the Lord. And then we also see that finally in the life of Nineveh as well. God's mercy was a quality fundamental to God's relationship with the Ninevites. The main reason Jonah went there to begin with was because their evil had come up before God. We know this from one, chapter one, verse two. Just like Jonah and just like Israel, God had every right to destroy them. But instead, he decides to send Jonah to proclaim his excellencies to them. And surprisingly, Jonah goes at the beginning of chapter three and he cries out against Nineveh and tells them that they will be overturned in 40 days. And upon hearing this, the people of Nineveh believed God and they repented of their evil. God's response in chapter three, verse 10, says when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is clearly a display 
of God's mercy. Upon the Ninevites' repentance, God relented of the disaster that he said he was going to bring upon them. Now you would think that Jonah, have experienced the mercy of God himself, would actually be ecstatic that others were experiencing this mercy that God had poured out on him. But we see that's not actually the case. In chapter four, verse one, in contrast to God's relenting from his anger, we see that Jonah's anger burned all the more. Chapter four, verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So the reality is Jonah thought that God should punish the Ninevites for their evil. He did not want to see them delivered. But the reality is Jonah also knew that God stays true to his character. In fact, God staying true to his character is the very reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Look with me at verse two in chapter four. It says this, Jonah praying to the Lord. He says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So instead of God's goodness eliciting praise from Jonah, it actually elicited a complaint. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be spared. He was actually more concerned about himself than he was about carrying out the will of God. And you want evidence for that from the text? Look at the first person pronouns that are used in his prayer in verses two and three to see who is absolutely the focus of Jonah's prayer. Verse two, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. He goes on in verse three to say, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Listen to the irony here. Jonah would rather die than live with God relenting from the disaster that he had said he was gonna bring upon the Ninevites. And what was God's response to this self-centered prayer of Jonah? Look with me in verse four. God simply asked him a question, a very piercing question. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Are you justified in your anger? See, here's the reality, brothers and sisters. In his anger, in his sinful anger, Jonah was minimizing the very mercy of God that had actually saved him in the first place. He had become puffed up 
in his knowledge of God and allowed his knowledge of God to fuel his love for himself. And hear me, brothers and sisters, it was actually Jonah's knowledge of God that was fueling his complaint in the first place. Let this be a warning to you, my brothers and sisters. Do you find yourself currently justifying your disobedience to the Great Commission? If, in fact, you do or you are, think with me about why you would actually justify it. Would it not be because you know that this is exactly what God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, as those who have received God's mercy, we must be careful not to minimize his mercy. Warning number two. As those who have received God's mercy, do not judge God's justice. So when I use the word judge here, I mean it in a critical sense. So don't judge God's justice critically. In verses 5 through 11, we see that God is justified in showering the Ninevites with his mercy and that Jonah is not justified in his anger. This is made clear in two ways, at least two ways, in verses 5 through 11. First, we see that Jonah despised God's discipline towards himself. We see in verse 5, in response to God's question, Jonah didn't even answer. Instead, he actually, verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah doesn't answer God, but instead chose to go out of the city and, and make himself a booth and sit under it. And I would say he's still holding out hope that God would destroy Nineveh. Still holding out hope. And while he's under this booth, God in his grace decides to discipline Jonah personally. We see this in verses six through eight. And he's doing it to teach Jonah a lesson. And we see two things about God's discipline per, per, um, in this passage. We see first that God's discipline is purposeful. So three times in verses six through eight, we see God in three verses sovereignly control the circumstances surrounding Jonah and his life to fulfill his own purposes. We see verse six, it says, the Lord God appointed a plant purpose that it might be a shade over his head in order to save him from his discomfort. Verse seven, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that purpose it withered. 
Verse eight, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, purpose, so that he was faint. This word translated to point is also used in chapter one, verse 17, describing the great fish that the Lord God appointed to swallow Jonah. Every single time this word is used here in this narrative of Jonah, it is God who is the acting agent and not only that, but he's doing it specifically to serve his purposes. God's discipline is purposeful. Not only that, but it's also very, very personal. The reality is God was disciplining a person, right? Very clearly here, verses six through eight. Actually, just look at verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over who? Jonah, that it might be a shade over whose head? His head. To save who? Him. From whose discomfort? His. God's discipline here is very, very personal. And in response to this personal love of God, Jonah despises this discipline. And he responds in much the same way as he did in verse three by asking God, basically saying, it would be better for me to die than to live. Because a, because a plant got destroyed. And God, pursuing Jonah, Ask him another piercing question. Almost the same exact question that he asked in verse four, except he adds a little phrase at the end to emphasize. Jonah, you're not justified in your anger, brother. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? So Jonah is angry here because God destroyed a plant that was actually benefiting him. Earlier, we saw that Jonah was angry because God did not destroy the Ninevites. In both instances, Jonah was angry because he was not getting what he wanted. On the one hand, Jonah wanted to be delivered from his misery by God with this plant that was providing this shade, right? On the other hand, he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed in their misery. In fact, he wanted them to suffer more misery. So God disciplined him personally for the purpose of exposing his sin and showing him that he is not justified in his anger. Jonah's response proves that he was more focused on himself than he was on carrying out the will of God. Jonah despised God's discipline. The second way that we see that Jonah is not justified in his anger here is that Jonah questioned God's compassion towards Nineveh. In verses 10 and 11, we see that God's ways are always just and our ways often are not. This is illustrated here in a contrast between Jonah pitying a plant which he had absolutely nothing to do with 
and God himself feeling pity over the very people that he made in Nineveh. And we see very clearly from these two verses, one, that our judgment is often partial. Our judgment is often biased. Verse 10, Jonah is foolish to pity the plant. Jonah did not work for the plant or he didn't make it grow. And it came into being in a night and it perished in a night and all of this was a work of God. The reality is Jonah was actually feeling sorry for himself, wasn't he? He was no longer receiving the benefit that the plant actually provided for him. That's what his pity was about. He was actually foolish to pity the plant. And you see this because he is drowning himself in self-pity. In verse 11, we see in contrast to our partial judgment, that God's judgment is always impartial. It's always fair. God is fair to pity the people of Nineveh. We see first about Nineveh, that Nineveh was important to God. There's a phrase that's used here to describe Nineveh, that great city. It's used in chapter one, verse two, chapter three, verse two, simply describing the reality that Nineveh was an important city to God. They were important to God. Not only was Nineveh important to God, they were also limited in their knowledge of God. Phrase used here, more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. This is simply an idiomatic expression emphasizing a lack of knowledge or innocence. So Nineveh, important to God and limited in their knowledge of God. So God, in his absolute mercy sends Jonah to proclaim his mercies to them. God was fair to show compassion to the Ninevites. And brothers and sisters, as a great commission seminary, I would just remind you that the nations are absolutely important to God. God has created every individual on the face of this planet for himself. They are important to God. Not only that, but many of the peoples in the world have limited knowledge of God. In fact, the only knowledge that many have is a knowledge that will actually condemn them. It is not sufficient to save them. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. Too much has been given. Much will be required. We have been given a knowledge of God that we have the privilege of sharing with Others in this world who have limited knowledge of God, we have an absolute obligation to take this good news to the nations. And let me tell you, there's absolutely no justification 
for your or my disobedience to this command. No justification. You don't have too much homework. You don't have too many classes that you're teaching. You don't have too many books to write. No justification for our disobedience. God's judgment is always fair, brothers and sisters. Our judgment is often foolish. We've seen two warnings today. The first one, do not minimize God's mercy. God is just to extend his mercy to whomever he wills, and he stays true to his character. Warning number two, do not judge God's justice. God's ways, always just, always. Our ways, often not just. Just think about these two warnings with me for a minute. What is actually taking place if we're minimizing the mercy of God or if we're judging the justice of God critically? Think about it. Are we actually despising the very means of salvation that God has provided to the world in the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross is the place where God's mercy and his justice meet. So if we're minimizing God's mercy and we're judging his justice critically, we're actually despising the very cross of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, apart from the cross, of Jesus Christ as a living testimony. We stand helpless before God. Absolutely helpless. On the one hand, we can't please God because of our sin. On the other hand, we deserve the very just punishment of God because of our sin. But listen to me, this is beautiful. Come in here really close. In the cross, God delivers those who are only deserving of his wrath. That means you, brother, Sister, that means me. God delivers those in the cross of Jesus Christ who are only deserving of his wrath. Listen to me, God's mercy is absolutely fundamental to his relationship to us. On the one hand, it motivated God not to destroy us, but instead to destroy us his son. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, 
God's mercy is a motivation for us to actually return to the Lord our God, even in the face of our disobedience. When you stand before God, the first words that come out of your mouth better not be a justification of your disobedience. Because I. Better be because you, Lord Jesus, because you, Lord Jesus, lived the life that I could not live. Because you, Lord Jesus, died the death that I deserve on the cross. Because you, Lord Jesus, entered into the grave and stayed there for three days. Because you, Lord Jesus, were raised from the dead. And because you, Lord Jesus, are currently interceding at the right hand of God the Father. And because you, Lord Jesus, will return to judge the living and the dead. And I want to say to you, if you're here today and you have never responded to this good news, that there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you to repent and turn away from your sin and trust Jesus Christ. Our salvation is wholly dependent upon God's mercy. It's according to his great mercy that God has caused us to be born again, to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And hear me, brothers and sisters, not only is our salvation wholly dependent on his mercy, but the privilege of serving God is a product of his divine mercy. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Paul says, having received this ministry, how? By the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. Let me tell you, it is a privilege to serve the living God. And that privilege that he has given you and he has given me is solely dependent upon his mercy. And you best not, we best not despise that mercy, justifying our disobedience. Two quick applications in closing, really quickly. Instead of minimizing God's mercy, Brothers and sisters, maximize his mercy. Do this by preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Resist the temptation to think more highly of yourself than you should. Remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins when God saved you and gave you new life. But don't stop there, respond to his divine mercy. Respond and let it lead you to preach the gospel to others regularly, both in word and in deed. So acts of mercy and speaking words of mercy, speaking this good news of Jesus Christ. Do this with your neighbors and the nations. And in some cases, praise God, the nations are your neighbors. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we maximize God's mercy by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily and preaching the gospel to others regularly. And finally, instead of judging God's justice, 
Find joy in it. Find joy in the reality that Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus was judged on your behalf and he has freed you from the very sin that kept you in slavery. Not only was Jesus judged on your behalf, but he was also judged on behalf of others. And guess what that does for us? We have the freedom now to love even our very own enemies, right? God is the judge. We leave it to him to judge. And we have been set free from our sin and set free to serve the living God. Brothers and sisters, God is just in extending his mercy to the nations. And he has granted us the divine privilege of taking this gospel to the nations. And let me encourage you, don't let your growing knowledge of God fuel your love for yourself. Let it fuel your love for God and his mission. And let's be a people who are absolutely motivated by the mercy of God and give our lives to carry out his mission. Father, we rejoice in your mercy. Father, thank you for the great privilege of serving you. And Lord, simple prayer, God, your will be done. We thank you for your great grace. Father, empower us as a seminary, God, to absolutely give our lives for the sake of this mission that you have called us to. In Christ's name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.